Welcome to Future Forecast, a podcast about technology, leadership, and sustainability with leaders and entrepreneurs from around the world. I'm your host, Isabel Ringness, and today we'll be talking about the habits of being a great entrepreneur in or outside of an organization. We are talking to Sahar Hashemi, one of Britain's most successful entrepreneurs, having founded Coffee Republic, UK's first US-style coffee bar chain, with her brother. She built it into one of UK's most recognized high street brands with 110 bars and a turnover of £30 million. In 2005, she founded Skinny Candy, a brand of sugar-free sweets, and has later written two best-selling books, Anyone Can Do It, Building Coffee Republic from Our Kitchen Table, and Switched On. She is currently finishing her third book, Startup Forever, 10 Ways to Behave Like a Startup When You're Not a Startup, based on her experiences of working with large organizations. Sahad, thank you so much for joining our podcast. Thank you. So to warm up, we like to start with two questions. And I'm thinking that your answer to the first one might have something to do with a skinny latte, because I know that coffee is part of your entrepreneurial uh, DNA. But uh, what does your morning routine look like? Well, morning routine eating wise or just generally? Just generally. Generally, my morning routine um, starts with actually what I call a faux commute because I have a little Jack Russell called Stewie. And Stewie and I head to the park first thing in the morning. So I'm one of those people that I just need to get out to the park with Stewie, with Stewie running around in the ball. And I live just a short distance from Hyde Park. So I, I sort of start the day in a way clearing my head and not getting intense. I can't ever imagine people who... Um, you know, sort of start the morning and go straight into their computer emails. And then I come home and I have to have a um, soy latte, which I make at home. Um, and that's how my morning starts. Has it always been soy latte or has it changed? No, obviously, no, no, no. I used to be a milk drinker. Then I stopped drinking milk. And then obviously I sold my business, Coffee Republic. And I actually don't really like to be seen um, buying coffee from anywhere else. So I have, thank God for an espresso. I make myself an espresso and they've got a great former at home. So I, I keep it quiet as I don't like you know, kind of going to other places in the UK. <laughs> and we're going to go more into uh, your uh, the reason why I'm asking you so much about uh, coffee. But in your TED Talk in 2014, you talk about uh, growing up and never imagining yourself as an entrepreneur. You imagined an entrepreneur would be someone with magic stardust, someone like Richard Branson. So you went on to become a lawyer. But then five years later, you realized that you were leaving part of yourself at home when you went to work. And you wanted work to be fun, but your colleagues couldn't understand why you would expect anyone to pay you for enjoying yourself. Uh, but then fast forward a few years and you're a successful entrepreneur. Do you think that you were destined in some way for that all along? Or what do you think were the like key turning points that made you realize that, yeah, you could do this? Well, you know, it's, it's sometimes in life, it's so difficult to think you can do this. And I think that's why um, my motto in life is actually leap and the net will appear is thinking, can I do this? Can I not do this? The sort of navel gazing is the worst thing you can possibly do in life, I think. Um, the less time you start looking at your options, the better. Um, for me, just stuff happened. I was in a law firm. I was five years in. I remember having one review with my boss. I wasn't doing terribly well. I could just see everyone else being promoted. And I was very good as a trainee. But once we qualified, I'm obviously clearly not made out to be a good lawyer because I'm just, people can't even, I speak so fast, people don't understand what I say. <laughs> and then a couple of catalysts, you know, events. My dad died. My dad dying was a real kind of shock. Sometimes you get that shock. I needed a change. You know, I'd only worked straight out of university for five years. So that was something which think, actually, do you know what? I just need a change. Maybe I want to travel. So I went to South America. Then I went to New York. And that's where I got the idea. So, 
you know, life happens. I don't think, that's why I sometimes tell people, you know, don't pressurize yourself too much. I find people who are really happy in a job and they're like killing themselves with this thought of maybe I should start my own business. I'm like, you know, unless it happens easily, like, you know, don't do it sort of thing. So what, what, do you what, agree? I, you know, you've yeah. done that yourself. It's just sometimes just events happen. It's got to be easy to do. It mustn't be such an enormous kind of like, oh, my God. Like, I never felt like it was such a big step. It was tiny little steps. No, I 100 percent agree. It's often something that happens or it's something that inspires you, but then it doesn't. And you said that on stage today as well. It's not a success overnight. It's 15 yeah. years yeah. of kind of both realizing and working yeah. and, you know, getting comfortable in the role. I mean, there's, there's so many contributing factors to becoming a success. Entrepreneur. That's right. Like, you know, a great idea never hits you like, wow, this is a great idea. It's just a kind of series of iterations, isn't it? It's sort of, um, I recently read actually that, you know, the whole myth we have of um, Isaac Newton and the apple falling on his head. And that's how gravity was discovered. Like, it wasn't like, you know, he didn't discover gravity because <laughs> apple fell on his head. He'd been doing 25 years of research. Mm. And Jeremy, that's just like a story we say, but it discounts 25 years that went before that you know, a bit like sort of what outliers say. So, you know, we forget about all that that goes into it. And we have this myth of, you know, spark, light bulb. Mm. So your business idea, I think it happened quite organically. I mean, you, you went to the US, you discovered Starbucks or or it was, a, I can't remember the other Yeah, name. New World Coffee. Well New done. World yeah, Coffee, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and you were just baffled by this fact that, oh, wow, you could now have coffee in all different sizes with all different kinds of milk and so on. Um, and, and then everyone says today that, you know, you need, you really need to understand the problem that you want to solve and you need to be passionate about the problem that you're solving That's right. in order to succeed. Now, how did, did those two factors contribute to your own success, do you think? Well, you know, I'm kind of, I'm always on a diet, so <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Like, I remember when I said, can I have a cappuccino, please? And he was like, would you like it with like full fat milk, skim milk? And I was like, what? skim milk and then he was like it's called a skinny cappuccino I was like really like you can have skinny cappuccinos like someone's giving you a choice I mean no one ever gave you the choice back you know in a sandwich bar in the UK back then so that idea and then you know oh, it's a bit hot you can have isolate and you can have an ice drink and you know what I mean that whole idea that you know we're a bit more used to that now but back then it was pretty like you get you get what they give you as a consumer you know so that that was really what I fell in love with I was like oh my god I can have my coffee with like um you know skinny milk in it and there's actually an option and it doesn't just come with one size um so that was what was amazing I think um for me that's how I kind of fell in love with it and I came back here and I was like oh my god there's I mean came back to the UK and there was nowhere I could have a skinny cappuccino and that's right that's what I suppose people call a gap in the market and then how did you because it's a great story how did you actually solve that because I know you went or you you wanted to, to raise money you wanted to explain this idea that you had uh, to people in the UK you got your brother on board but then you went to New York and and what happened yes exactly because <laughs> obviously before Google was now I could have just sat at home in two minutes and downloaded every menu and every picture and I had to go to New York to take pictures of the one coffee bar I'd fall in love with of this concept and of course the manager wouldn't let me so um, because she, you know, they'd really caught on in New York that this was going to be um, this new idea. So I ended up inviting my poor cousins who were very embarrassed that um, um, their picture appears up on slides about Coffee Republic the entire time. Um, and I took innocent tourist snapshots of them, but you hardly see them. You sort of see their ear in the shot or something like that. Whereas the manager just couldn't say, don't take pictures of them in the store. You know, the fact that I caught all the background is what I needed in every bit of the retail concept was by the by. Yeah. Bootstrapping, as I believed you called it. Exactly. 
Um, and today you teach uh, people in large companies the entrepreneurial habits because you saw firsthand how the entrepreneurial entrepreneurial spirit often gets stifled in these kinds of organizations. And even though, um, and you write on your websites, large companies often need discipline and structure, these entrepreneurial habits of creativity and innovation, which got them there in the first place, are becoming increasingly important to readapt or readopt in a rapidly changing world. And I want to talk a bit about the eight habits that you highlight on your website. Uh, And number one is believing that anyone can do it. And I've always kind of ask myself, can anyone do it? I mean, do you believe truly that anyone can do it? Or what, what do you mean by that? Yeah, well, I'm funny enough, actually, anyone could do it is the title of the book I wrote after I left Coffee Republic, because um, I never believed anyone can do it. I was brought up thinking it was a trait and, you know, I wasn't wacky enough and, you know, I'm like really boring. I'm an entrepreneur and my brother was a lawyer. And so, you know, then it was only when I left after five years and I just started looking through the notes and I was like, oh my God, like I'm an entrepreneur now. So if I did it, anyone can do it. Um, and I think there really is that myth. I think entrepreneurs come in all shapes and sizes. It's just that someone finds a need and whatever that need is in your area. And then you find, you know what I mean? That's kind of you fulfill the need in that area and you can start entrepreneurship in many businesses. So the business obviously has to suit you. But entrepreneurship is something we've all got within us because we do it in everyday life. You know, we're always creative, we're resourceful, we try to make things happen. We just, we don't dare do that in, in, in the work world. And I think as an entrepreneur, somehow you do it and then you're like, oh, it's okay to do that sort of thing. Mm. You know, be that resourceful and bootstrap and stuff like that. So I definitely think we all have it. It just remains dormant. And I always actually feel that if I had stayed in the law firm, I would have been a really mediocre lawyer. Mm. And I would have never known I had that because you only know you have it when you practice it. It doesn't sort of shine out in different places. It only happens when you actually start something and make it happen. Mm. Um, so I'm really glad I did it because I would have never seen it. So you only know you're an entrepreneur by actually doing it mm. and making the leap. Mm. And, and the second one that you, you talk about is stepping into your customer's shoes, asking yourself what they would hope and need and expect to receive if you were the customer. And the third one is getting out of the door, going out to see what it's actually like to be out there. And tell me, how did you do that in practice when you were building your second business, Skinny Candy? Yeah, well, I mean, Skinny Candy, again, was about me wanting sweets for myself because I then ended up traveling, promoting my book, doing speaking, and I love sweets. And then I was just sick of buying chocolate in the airport and then feeling guilty and kind of from (laughs) eating sugar. And I was kind of like, I'd read quite early on about how sugar is really bad for us. She says, having just had a brownie. But um, <laughs> I, but yeah, so it's very much when you're your own customer, all the answers are really clear. You really see clearly when you look at it from the customer's point of view. And I saw that as we got bigger, I saw how much, you know, you get people in big companies and they suddenly started having um, mystery customer surveys. So imagine, you know, you'd sit in the office having a meeting in the office and buying a cup of coffee so easy. And yet we paid a company to go around to our stores we paid dispassionate people who had no idea, we had no idea if they were coffee lovers or anything like that, to fill in forms and send them back to us about what the experience was like. Now, sometimes that's good just to, you know, just to see how you're doing, you know what I mean, in terms of, but my God, get everyone in the office to go out there. And yet everyone was busy because life was serious. And every time I complained to this new team we had when we got big is, why is no one going to the office? You know, and then the sort of their MB would be like, oh, everyone's so busy, so hard. They haven't got time to go and drink coffees like what you used to do. Like it's something so trite. But it's not trite. It's like really important to go out there and drink a coffee every morning. So that's what I saw the difference. And that's what you've got to get out there. And 
people become so insular and we think, you know, we're really serious because we're looking at numbers and we're looking at data. And it's almost like customers, you know, are like aliens. You also talk about the importance of being clueless, not worry about not worrying, uh, because you'll teach yourself as you go along. So our skills, experience, and how we have always done it mindsets blind us from seeing new opportunities. And I think that's very common in yeah. large companies. I've yeah. experienced it myself, where the standard seems to be set and changing the gear direction seems to be an endless process of politics and anchoring. What's your advice to companies like these? I think, you know, something I spoke about earlier was just language around, you know, people have this very much, oh, this is how we do things. And, oh, believe me, I know I've been in this business for so long. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of, there's no time for this now. And this is sort of silly right now to ask what kind of questions that and it's not industry practice and it's not dominant logic. And there's somehow like it brings fear because it sort of almost means that someone's got experience knows more. It sort of almost quite it puts you down a bit. And so you don't dare ask the naive questions. And I think that's it's quite powerful that and one's got to get rid of it because when people put down ideas, it's really easy to put down ideas because you say, listen, we've tried it. It's not going to work. And you shut people off forever. Mm-hmm. But it's very damaging to that sort of innovation culture we need. And again, you know, as an entrepreneur, I'm lucky because I'm like, listen, I'm an entrepreneur. I've got no idea. And, you know, I've got the license, but I feel people don't give themselves the license. And we should, you know, because for God's sake, someone who's an expert is by definition an expert of something that's changed already. You know, the, <laughs> the world's changing as we sleep. So, you know, the fact that you were expert of something a year ago is just absolutely irrelevant nowadays. So this open-mindedness is what we need. And we've got to get everyone becoming open-minded in a way unlearning what they know, I think is really important. Mm. Because you, you do also, and that builds into the next one, which is notch up on nose. Yes. Except uh, that there's always a status quo bias and that the new ways of doing things, however great, is always going to be messed with some sort of resistance. And you say to never stop at a no. It's just someone's opinion. How are you able to get back up if you get, you know, I don't know, 29 no's and then... Yeah, well, Judah, I mean, I think I, 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 I got a lot of no's. We got 39 no's. And then I read the story of Howard Schultz in Starbucks and he got 276, I think, no's. Could you imagine going to 276 bank managers who say no? You know what I mean? I just, can you imagine going through that? Like, that's a hell of a lot of numbers. And, I, you know, I don't know, I can't, it must have taken him a hell of a long time to go through that. So... It's just that you just realize actually that every brilliant idea has always been rejected. Just that's how it is. And so for me personally, it was almost when we went to bank manager and they said no, it was like, but they haven't seen how amazing those coffee bars are. And they see how amazing it is to be somewhere and smell coffee and have a skinny latte coming out and have a fat free muffin. And, you know, I kind of thought this person spent five minutes looking at the business plan. And they're going to say no. So it's just, you've got to make a no cheap in a way. And um, for me, because I've learned that actually, every time I do something, it's it's really bizarre, but I almost, I say notch up on no's, exactly as you said. Um, it's almost the more no's I get, the closer I get to the yes. It's almost like I feel I need to go through the no's to get there. Like every time I do a book, every time I want to do something, when I fail, I actually bizarrely think it's really good because I just know that I'm going to fail, I'm going to get up. And then eventually when I get there, it's going to be nice little reward waiting for me. So it's just almost this sort of way of kind of doing something. Because if I get a yes the first time, right, it's too easy. Ooh, I'm going to pay the surprise later. So I almost like prefer to kind of pay it forward and get the no's. Because, you know, for God's sake, you know, if, if it was so easy, then everyone could do it. That's know. the diff- You know, when something's new, people are going to think like it's, it, it's stupid. It's not going to work. And so people just kind of discount it and you just kind of go. and Because you would. But there's something about you that's got to get stronger 
to give you an idea, I recently had an idea, not recently, actually about seven years ago, was my dog Stewie I've mentioned before. So I've got this huge issue was I never like leaving him alone and nor do many people who work and have dogs. I don't know if you've got a dog. Um, then I thought, okay, how about like a sort of almost like a dog nursery? So, you know, whenever you can kind of, you know, just go and leave your dog there, he could have a great time and then you pick up the dog. Because I once saw this when I was in LA, people picking up their dogs after day's work. Um, so I sort of tried to do that and then I realised how difficult it was in the UK because a lot of landlords don't want to give you a site to have dogs because dogs make a mess and they make noise and whatever. And so after a couple of notes, it almost like I felt like actually I don't want to do this. I sort of get it why they're saying no. So I think it depends on how you react to the no, whether or not you, you know, if your conviction is strong enough, because like, someone is going to open that nursery because they really believe in it more than I did. So it all comes down to how much you you believe in it. So for me with Coffee Republic and actually Skin and Candy, both of them, I genuinely believe that actually it's like a no brainer. Mm. You know, when you've got kind of, you know, what I've seen in America, getting a skinny latte, going to somewhere, how could it not work, you know? So I guess in, in my mind, it would seem like, okay, it's, it's, maybe more easy as an entrepreneur where you're kind of like at the outside of, you know, all the politics yes. and everything to be asking again and again and again. But then in a business, when you're asking again and again and again and again, so many no's, eventually, I mean, I would think that people start talking about you, the person that like keeps suggesting a really bad idea. And then the fact that everyone in the organization knows each other and all tell each other that, oh, we said no to that idea, that almost has, you know, a contagious effect as well. Or that's that's an amazing insight because I completely think that's true. And the luxury you have as an entrepreneur is you never have to see them again. So you just walk away and go to the next person. But, you know, that's what we've got to change in an organization. And um, I've interviewed quite a lot of leaders now in innovative companies. And, you know, a lot of them actually, the, the way they have is when they, um, doing the sort of appraisal, the sort of monthly or quarterly appraisal, they ask people, how many risks are you taking? So, you know, how much you you putting yourself out there above the parapet to be shot down? And I mean, so this idea that actually being shot down is okay and just making that part and parcel because I definitely agree with you that getting a no is almost like, I mean, when I was in my law firm, if someone said no, it was like, oh my God, I, sh I should never have asked. You know, it's almost like the fact that you're getting a no means you've asked the wrong question. Um, and that's, we've got to change that attitude. And I think it's slowly changing. So this idea of around, um, you know, cultures that accept trial and error, that rephrase failures and rejection into a learning experience, into trial and error, that's what's got to change. And that's the sort of thing actually has got to come from the top by, you know, the leaders encouraging failure, talking about where they've made a mistake, talking about where they've said no and they shouldn't have said no. And someone else might have got the business. So it's about this kind of more... Again, we're coming to the human stuff about more authenticity and people talking about stuff. And, you know, there is that feeling in big businesses that, you know, just everything's perfect. You know, everyone just keeps their little territory and there's a lot of bravado and no one gets anything wrong. And, you know, there's no vulnerability. And, you know, we have that whole thing around vulnerability and, you know, entrepreneurs are able to be vulnerable. It's, you know, and it's easier, as you said, in a vacuum, but we've got to get that into work culture. Do you see any differences in like in demographics amongst the people that you work with or generational differences in terms of being able to embody these kinds of entrepreneurial habits? Um, I mean, I definitely think, you know, the newer generation, you know, much more kind of people, people much younger than me are much more, you know, they 
grown up, they've known about entrepreneurs, be it as a child, they might have watched The Apprentice or in the UK we have Dragon's Den or, you know, whatever it is on TV. So entrepreneurs are, you know, let's much more than, you know, when I was growing up and Richard Branson was like your kind of literally role model and sole proprietor of entrepreneurial characteristics in the whole country. Um, so people are much more open about that, I think. Um, and that's, you know, that whole sort of new generation. They want to have the workplaces where it's not about the bravado and they want authenticity and they want to be themselves. And, you know, you just, just look at the way people dress now versus I'm even surprised, you know, kind of um, in Scandinavia the last three days, you know, people come up on stage completely relaxed. Whereas that whole idea of the work suit used to be you put on the bravado, you put on almost like a uniform, don't you? Almost like a work face. Mm. And that's got to go. So that's why I think everyone should act like a startup and, you know, everyone should dress like startups. <laughs> huh. Yeah, I, I wonder if it's ever going to revert so that, uh, you know, it, we kind of have like a backlash of where everyone's trying to be a startup and cool and, you know, new thinking. And then people suddenly realize that, you know, that's not really who we are. That's not really our identity yeah. and then kind of revert back. I don't know. Well, I think, I mean, the idea of um, kind of, I think there's nothing sort of remotely cool about startups, I have to say. So I, I don't think people <laughs> think, I think uh, you've started up. I think there's anything remotely, I think, um, you know, the whole idea that we have, again, is another myth that startups, you know, it's, it's you know, startups are as much a nightmare as anything else, as you know. There's nothing glamorous about it or it's just that, you know, you're like pulling your hair out, but just being yourself pulling your hair out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess people see entrepreneurs uh, a lot when they are standing on stage speaking, right, about their story or whatever. And that part of it seems really glamorous, but it's a tiny yeah. percentage. It's a tiny That's fraction right. That's right. and I think, of uh, the Which work. is funny enough why I always, if I give advice to someone just coming out of university or school is actually go and work for someone because you learn so much working for someone because you can never be an entrepreneur if you don't know what true hard grafts true commitment true you know everyday keeping at it everyday persistence and sometimes you learn that you know working in companies and mm. you know that's why for me there's no difference in a way I agree. And it's also good because you get to, I mean, work is also kind of free school, at least when you're, when you're young, because right. you, you go into an organization, they spend so much resource on, on teaching you and, and bu- oh, making well you a better done. employee. That's exactly the point. And just such a, in a way, because you can always do entrepreneur, there's always time for that, but go while you can um, go and do that. That's why I always say, and you know, my five years in a kind of corporate environment, I learned most things I know now because of that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, if did you, you start as, the same, yeah. Yeah, I did. Because, uh, I mean, when you start out as an entrepreneur, no one's going to teach you how to do things. You no, just have to figure no. it out. And it's a lot easier. Yeah, exactly. If you kinda, exactly. I think someone's told me once, and uh, I'm not going to say that I had actually enacted it, but they always said it's always better to, to fail with someone else's money than your own. Yeah, <laughs> so absolutely. So in a company, absolutely. it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's better to be able to, or you have at least more safety in terms of, experimenting with things because it's there's a bigger safety net around you than that's right and, and an you learn from others and you learn how teamwork and you learn I mean, I mean entrepreneurship is just um there's always time for that yeah so uh you mentioned um Richard Branson uh and I want to finally uh this is the last question but talk about role models because uh you ended up as an entrepreneur despite the fact that there weren't that many role models and uh maybe that made you doubt uh yourself or you couldn't see or what they say is you cannot be what you cannot see. Um, and today, I mean, the picture is a little bit better, but not a whole lot better, especially for women and minorities. There's a huge lack of role models, both in leadership and in entrepreneurship, uh, even in a gender equal Scandinavia. Um, I wonder if you have any thoughts on this or if you have any insights or advice on how to get more women and more minorities into these kinds of power positions. Um, yeah, I, kind of, I suppose it's interesting. I mean, I kind of think, you know, there are, you know, there are incredible for me, I always get my sort of inspiration, not 
as I said, entrepreneurs come to all shapes and sizes and everyone's journey is sort of in a bizarre way different. Um, so, you know, you can get your inspiration from so many different areas, not necessarily the same area you're in. So I think it all, it's really, you know, it's a bit like that sort of glass half full. It's how you look at it. I think if you're looking for inspiration, there's, my God, there's a hell of a lot. And I always say, you know, I almost became an entrepreneur by accident because there, there was nothing. And suddenly I look back and I was like, oh my God, there's so much, but there's so much now. And almost perhaps you can say there's too much because, you know, I didn't have, I didn't compare myself to anyone else. And I do feel a bit more sorry for someone starting off now because, you know, you hear about, you know, someone else, you know, some influencers who are starting and, um, you know what I mean, kind of, you know, how much they're worth and you know so much about people that I think um, you just compare yourself to other people too much. Mm. And I think it's just realizing actually that forget about the role models, you know, find your own heart, you know, follow your own heart as to what you love doing. Very much as you started sort of saying, you know, a customer, find what you love doing, find what you can't find, find what you're passionate about. And often, what you're passionate about is what you're good at as well. Hmm. And just go on that path. Don't look at others. I almost think we have too many role models. I mean, you just have to go on social media to see how everyone's success is sort of hit on your head a hundred <laughs> times. How's that going to inspire you? Because you, you sort of, you know, we heard, yes, um, I think earlier as well, you know, it's, it's a sort of fairy tale image people have. And we almost think we're not up to that. Um, so thank God I didn't have any role models back then and I did my own journey. So no, I think, I think you know, find your own greatness and you only find that by by looking inside and doing it. Yeah, so not walking anyone else's path, just kind of carving yeah, your Yeah, it's own. never anyone else's path. I, mm-hmm. I don't know there's a single person that I'm up and if I start looking at other people, I would then compare myself and see how I fall short in a way. Um, so, you know, get inspired by something you read, a little thing you see or, you know, I mean, just just some little innovation or but just just not looking at others. I think I think there's too much of that. Mm. Mm. Uh, Sahar, this has been great. Uh, we have three standard quick questions before I let you go. Uh, if you could give your 20 year old self two pieces of advice, what would that be? Gosh, well, like, it's just such a bad question for me because my 20 year old <laughs> self got plenty of advice from my gorgeous parents um and so that was good but my 30 year old self when my parents weren't around and I started doing stupid things so never leave the business you've started because you love it and however great the exit is you're going to miss it Mm -hmm. that's the big advice I'd give myself and and the other advice is just genuinely um just 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 do your best and let God do the rest in a way let's not worry about you know how we measure up or anything just every day put one foot in front of the other and go to bed every night thinking i've done the best i can mm. and that's what you need to do in life what's your favorite podcast <laughs> that's, <podcast. laughs> that's completely fine maybe it will be future forecast uh you uh let's hope so uh where should people go to follow you um gosh i mean i'm trying to get a higher following on twitter please so twitter and i'm trying to get more actually articles on instagram on i'm sorry not instagram at all sorry forget that on linkedin, LinkedIn yeah. um yes i should write more articles but somehow there's a kick i get out of my twitter following so if you could just follow me on twitter that'd be lovely <laughs> okay so uh, everyone go and uh, follow sahar on twitter thank you so much for joining us thank you i really enjoyed that lovely chat Thank you for listening to Future Forecast. Please remember to subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. And if you really like it, we would really appreciate if you shared one of the episodes on social media or with one of your friends. Talk to you next week. 